This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Okay, guys, here's the deal. We are not going to accept a fear-based approach. This fear that if we are left to our own devices, we here in Canada are just going to neglect to make and consume our own stories, our own information, our own culture, our own news, and we'll just soon be overwhelmed by American stuff to the point where we'll basically just sort of cease to exist as autonomous thinking people in any meaningful way. And essentially, we'll just kind of become Americans who can't vote, more more consumers than citizens. And so therefore, the government needs to step in and make culture for us, essentially, that if we don't eat government cheese, we'll just starve and eat nothing at all. Let's just reject that whole idea. I mean, we can just reject that. Let's agree to figure out a different way, our own way to actually have a discourse. And let's throw out the notion that this must all be blamed on some kind of flaw in our national character. We're just too timid. Canadian politics are too boring. Whatever. Let's agree that there is a much simpler explanation for this, that it's just economics and demographics. We don't have enough of a population to fund our own media through advertising alone. So it will have to be through subscriptions, through direct support for the media we want. And that's the only way. It's the only way we're going to have media that we want, through direct support. So if you want environmental advocacy journalism, go support the National Observer or the Taiyi. If you want independent indigenous media, go support the Indian and Cowboy Network. Go support Kukukwes. If you want progressive activist journalism, go support Rabble. Go support Ricochet. If you want the Rebel, go support the Rebel. And if you want what we do, on this show, on our website, on our other shows, then support us. Over 300 of you decided to do that this week so far. Welcome and thank you. We work for you now. But we will need to find a lot more people like you if we are going to make the show we want to make. A serialized investigative podcast digging into the untold story of Thunder Bay, the city with the highest homicide and hate crime rates in Canada, a city with a lot of secrets at the highest levels. Look, you do not have to support us, but you do have to support the media that you want if you want to have your own media. You have to pay for haircuts, you have to pay for coffee and sandwiches, or you don't get any, and it's going to be the same thing with Canadian media. Welcome, new supporters. Thank you. Everybody else, go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. By the way, guys, we are still going to run ads during this month of crowdfunding. We cannot afford to lose a month's worth of ad revenue while we fundraise, kind of defeat the purpose. 
But I can tell you that advertising represents a minority of our revenue here. Most of our money comes directly from listener support. And our first sponsor today is a new sponsor, Hi Mama. It is hard to leave small kids at daycare, hard for parents, I mean, and hard for daycares to keep parents up to date. Well, the Canadian startup Hi Mama has the solution. They make it simple for daycares to send parents private notifications in real time about how your kids are doing. Ask your daycare to consider using Hi Mama by going to highmama.com slash CanadaLand. Your daycare will thank you for it. And this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. For 50% off of your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and enter the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. Justin Ling. Hi. A week ago, vice reporter. Yeah. Now, no longer vice reporter. Now, freelance reporter. Freelance journalist. All right. Welcome back to the game. Thanks. Is that a thing to no, say? No, it's, it's the game. All right. We're back at the game. Today, Justin, we are going to take a second to talk about uh, the news uh, this morning as we record that uh, Gordowney has died and how that is being covered. We're going to talk about just how badly Andrew Shear does not want his name next to the rebel. Really badly. Sheer, rebel, rebel, sheer. He doesn't want that. He's not into that. Sheer madness. We're going to talk about uh, coverage of Joshua Boyle, the Canadian hostage in Afghanistan, who, uh, along with his family, recently escaped from five years in Taliban-affiliated captivity. How the media is talking about that. Justin, we got kicked out of our regular studio for a week and a half. It's going to be noisy in here. Please let me out. Welcome back to Canada Land Shortcuts. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Najib Twal, Stephen Michalowicz, Heather Jane, Guy Lashinsky, Carla Embleton, Samantha Halloran, Christopher McClelland, and Jack Lehman. We asked Jack to take a minute to talk about why he decided to become a patron. I'm Jack Lehman, worker owner of Come As You Are Cooperative in Toronto, Canada. And I support Canada Land because frankly, in this day and age, it's difficult to find someone who knows who both Liam McLaren and Michael Chung are and will tolerate anything longer than a five-minute conversation about either. Canada Land manages to shine a light where others just don't. And you all make shit kind of funny, relevant, and interesting to boot, even if literally all of you are wrong about what's wrong with CBT Radio. Justin Gordani died. I am so bummed out. Are you? How old are you? Uh, I'm 26. You're 26. I'm a bit younger, but I grew up with Tragically Hip. I, I family friend brought over uh, a CD of Road Apples when I was a kid. Yeah. And I just like, like, I literally played that album until it didn't play anymore. I broke the CD. I loved the hip and, and it was, uh, yeah, I remember going to see like 1995 uh, yeah. in the summer. They were like, he was an amazing performer for a guy who yeah. looked like he could just be some like, I don't know, dad or something. Yeah. He, he kind of transformed to this incredible rock star. 
on stage and, and he's a poet is a brilliant I mean you know I've noticed that like I'm surprised that you're into them a lot of people on the office are just like oh that band I just hear that like they're not I'm not into that band yeah I said, um, I said this not earlier. everyone is into that band but no I, I know I said this earlier today but I think Gordani is one of the reasons I became a writer I mean you know his writing is so incredibly smart but like succinct yeah um, and I think it's it's absolutely incredible I just sat around this morning just like playing old hip songs uh, well I think everybody's kind of sharing this stuff and, and I bring it up on this show just the coverage um there was a, a, a beautiful obituary written by Michael Barclay. I think Michael is working on a book about the hip. McLean's mm-hmm. um, ran this piece. But the headline, which you know I'm sure Michael didn't choose, was about Gord Downey's battle with cancer. And there were many headlines where they actually say that, that news cliche, Gord Downey today has lost his battle with cancer. And nobody meant anything by it. It's just sort of like, yeah. you're not thinking and that's just what we say. But it kind of bugs me. The guy had terminal brain cancer. Yeah, there was no battle there. The whole construct of that is is false, and it actually belies the unique news story of his death, which is kind of remarkable. I mean, he wasn't fighting certain death. He was going to die from this. But what he did do is he purposed what life he had left to art, and I think most yeah. heroically, he used his impending death and all the grief that it inspired in Canada. He like transformed that grief in, into political will. He's like, yeah. this is better spent if I divert it or transform it, or channel it into this political will to fix the relationship Canada has with Indigenous people and yeah. to hold Justin Trudeau responsible. If you're if you're feeling sad about the fact that I'm going to die, instead, why don't you hold Justin Trudeau? <laughs> like that was an amazing act he did. Maybe we're like, if I can just delve into the intricacies of headline creation right now. I, I'm really fond of the format of like you know famous person's name colon and then three words that describe them comma dead at age right. Yeah, Gore right. Downey singer poet activist dead at fifty two fifty one. I don't quite remember. Um, regardless, you know, I, I think that's what I, I, I really like about a good obit is not what did they die of? It's, of course, that they died, but it's more who they were. I mean, it doesn't really matter. We all know how he died. Yeah. Uh, and, and functionally, I don't, I don't think that's a useful narrative, the cancer narrative. But obviously, you know, this guy was a legend. I mean, the prime minister is taking time out of his day this, uh, this afternoon just to pay tribute to Gordon Downey in, in the House of Commons. So, yeah. Well, and that's great because, I mean, you know, Justin Trudeau wanted the photo op of hugging Gord Downey. And Gord Downey said, okay, I'll give you that photo op. But, like, you know, you want to you want to remember Gord Downey, hold Justin Trudeau responsible to yeah. what, what Gord Downey put him to. I mean, he he donated his death yeah. to Indigenous people in Canada. You oh, know? I think it's brilliant. I, yeah, there's something really also just, like, so typical of Gord Downey that he kind of planned out the last year of his life. Yeah. You know, the, the, go, the goodbye tour, the last album, you know, his his project, his other album on, you know, indigenous issues, uh, his activism around First Nations issues. Like, it, it was remarkable. I mean, how many people have the kind of the foresight and the thought and like the uh, the fortitude to actually just build a legacy for yourself before you die? Like, that's brilliant to me. Yeah. And I don't think it was easy. And, and anyone who watched that concert, uh, you know, he, he was struggling and not just physically. I mean, it it was uh, uh, that was an amazing, amazing thing to to watch, and and yeah. it was very generous. It's just a it's a it's a good uh, life lesson that everyone should go record an album for yourself before you get hit by a truck. Mr. Shear, I have a question about your campaign. Were you aware that Hamish Marshall was working out of the Rebel office while he was working on your campaign, and did you have a problem? Uh, I, did, I, I believe uh, Mr. Marshall has answered the questions to you about that. I, I hired him to do a job for the campaign, and that's where that uh, relationship was. And I understand that he's uh, no longer moving towards no longer being involved in that. But did you, did yeah, you, but you know? Did you know? 
Did you know that he was working there and were you concerned? I didn't ask Hamish about every client he had. He, he has a, a variety of, of, uh, of clients. He has, he's a small business owner himself and I asked him to do a job and uh, he, worked, he helped me out on my campaign. Can I ask you about... Uh, wait, wait, hey, hey! We waited 20 minutes for six minutes? All right, so that, that's the audio from a video where, where you know, we see Sheer being questioned about his, his uh, campaign manager for his, uh, for his former campaign. And now we know the, the campaign manager for yeah. the next election, Hamish Marshall. Did he know that Hamish Marshall was also a, a, a director of the rebel? And then, and then Sheer walks off. But maybe, like, as somebody who covers these types of scrums, like, there's something specific about why it was so weird that he ran off the way he oh, did. Oh, yeah. I, you, you can hear it. So Laura Stone from the Global Mail is the one asking the question. Obviously, Cher is totally taken aback uh, by this question. It's a, a little bit dated, but it's still obviously pertinent. Uh, and then you hear Althea Raj from the Huffington Post go, wait, what? As he walks off. Like, this is, this is you can hear it in their voices, how bizarre it is to have the leader of the opposition come out, after, especially after it's not like he made them wait for a while, and then do such a quick scrum. Like, that is bizarre. It only happens when the leader goes, I'm pissed off at all of you. I don't want to answer any more questions. Peace out. That was his availability that they were there for. Like, oh yeah, no, no, they, he, they weren't like running after him for questions. No, no, no. He this walked to a microphone he and he's like, "I would like to answer questions now." Yeah, and they had waited for him to do that. Yeah, so highly irregular for him to just like, oh, yeah. fuck this, I'm off." Oh yeah, no, 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 it's totally bizarre. It happens, but it only happens when they're pissed off at you, right? Uh, and that's actually how you know you have a good question is when they get so pissed off they just leave. And he lied. Okay, so he says he in there... He fudged the truth. All right, let's not use that word that we're so hesitant to use. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I will say they lied about a great many things in the last couple of months. They, like, for example, they lied about the liberal small business tax changes. In this case, they're fudging the truth. He said, they asked him, did you know that Hamas Marshall was the founder, was a director, rather, of The Rebel? And he says, oh, I don't know every client that yeah. Hamish Marshall has. And then later his spokesperson says, yeah, he knew. Yeah, uh, of, of course he knew. I mean, uh, did he know he was a director? That And that, that actually, to be fair, is not super common knowledge. You know, I, I first learned that uh, maybe some six months ago. It's true. It was, yeah. it was. I mean, we were embarrassed because it was public. It was on their website, but yeah. but we didn't see it until... Well, it's on an Industry Canada page that's not super certain. But right, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. He's the director of the company. So let me, let me say this. Ezra Levant frequently just throws directors onto his companies that aren't necessarily directors. Like the other director of the Rebel is is basically his former intern. As far as I can tell, I don't even know what job she does at the company right now. But uh-huh. let me say this: I actually do know what Hamish Marshall was doing at the Rebel. It is doing at the Rebel, or maybe. Oh, I want to talk about that in a second. But okay, for, we'll but first, there. let's just talk about what what Andrew Shear yeah. knew. Okay, so Andrew Shear has this campaign manager. Uh, Hamish Marshall, when he's trying to become the leader of the Conservative Party, where does Hamish Marshall work? He works from the Rebels' offices. Mm-hmm. Did he work on Andrew Shear's campaign from that office? Yes. He's yeah. since said, yeah, I took calls. I worked on the campaign. So where did Andrew Shear go when he was being interviewed by the Rebel? To the Rebels' offices, which was also where his campaign manager worked out of. Like, the idea that that was somehow like, oh, you know, he's got some other clients, so I don't really think much about that. He's got a bunch of clients. He fucking knew when he was going to do interviews at the Rebel, yeah. oh, this is where my campaign manager works. Yes. I mean, obviously, Andrew Shear had a pretty cozy relationship with the Rebel. This should not surprise anyone. But what you should be thinking about in this scenario is rewind the tape about, uh, I guess, a month and a half uh, when the Rebel uh, was embroiled in, you know, just a a, a clusterfuck of scandals Mm -hmm. from having Faith Goldie go on a neo-Nazi podcast in Charlottesville where she was 
reporting uh, with a very sympathetic view to um, the white supremacist protesters who were there. Uh, you want to talk appearing on a neo-Nazi podcast. Yeah, yeah, I said that. That was the thing I just said. Oh, did you say exactly I did, that? Ex- I said exactly that. Okay. Come on, Jeff. You're not even listening to me. Come on. You invite me on. Anyway, that's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, beyond that, I mean, you have Gavin McGinnis saying whatever idiotic thing Gavin McGinnis was saying of the day. I mean, you, you had just a litany of crazy people at the Rebel doing crazy things. And some people started asking Andrew Shear's conservative party, will you refuse to do future interviews with the Rebel? Will you denounce the Rebel? Will you say anything about this? And so when I asked folks in the party, they told me, they had a statement drafted. Yeah. I was told by two different sources in the Conservative Party that a statement was drafted and it was ready to go. They were waiting a sign- on a sign-off from Sheer. It was supposed to come by the end of the day. It didn't show up. I followed up. They said, we don't know. Next day, I followed up. They said, well, we'll let you know if we decide to release something. So I published a story uh, basically saying Andrew Shearer is waffling on uh, denouncing the rebel. And then only after that did he come out and tell the CBC in a, a verbal answer to a question, he, he wouldn't do any more interviews with, with the rebel. But think about this. They were going to publicly distance themselves from a, a website that had time for neo-Nazis and white supremacists. Copious and then they connections didn't. with the alt-right and neo-Nazis. Yeah, and then yeah. they didn't. So, you know, why did they not? So they were, yeah, okay, that's that's great. So let's talk about that. I think that the specific thing that Shear said when he finally, it seemed like it was like they had to, it had to be pulled out of him at great pain. Will you step aside from the rebel? Will you give them interviews? And he said, well, he left a little smidgen of a door open. He yeah. said, not unless they modify their editorial yeah, not path with their current or something. Edit- and he wouldn't even say the website name. He said, you know, this website. Right. That is not the hallmark of somebody who had a statement ready to go. That is the hallmark of somebody who just like fumbled an answer when it came out. And I'm willing to bet that that statement is still sitting on some conservative party email account somewhere. Never released. Why do you think he was so reluctant to just outright say, yeah, of course, this is a Nazi-sympathetic, racist, alt-right website, like every other conservative who's denounced it, I'm not going to do interviews Yeah, because his right-hand man ran the damn website. I mean, you know, why else? Okay, I want to talk about that specific role, because Ezra Levant, I think in in a statement trying to downplay it when this came out, that Hamish Marshall had this relationship, said, oh, he's our, our IT boss. Yeah. And I think that people have like, I think technological illiteracy leads people to like, oh, don't don't worry about that. He was just the IT guy at the rebel. Now, you don't run the political campaign of the guy who's about to yeah. win uh, leadership of the conservative party and then go and help Ezra Levant install Wi-Fi. No. He was there yeah. to set up and orchestrate the implementation of the platform that the rebel is built on and which political campaigns are also built on. That's right which is a a program called Nation Builder. That's right. So, you know, I I wrote a big thing about the Rebel uh, some two months back and spoke to a whole bunch of people, current and former, from the Rebel. And several people told me point blank, Hamish Marshall, yeah, was responsible for getting them on Nation Builder. He was responsible for uh, a lot of the strategy and campaign around their email list, which is extremely lucrative for that company and uh, helps them bring in probably over a million dollars a year, if not much, much more than that. And of high interest to any conservative candidate in Canada. A hundred percent. And we also learned that there may have been some list sharing there with Kelly Leach, of course. Right. So so like if you're a conservative candidate, do you, do you want to know? I mean, here you've got the rebel is the place that's assembling thousands of email addresses from people who are, I don't mm-hmm. know, outraged that uh, Omar Khadr is getting $10.5 million. Yeah. And you could take that list and you can say, okay, I want only the email addresses of the people who live in my 
riding, and I want to remove everybody who's already a registered conservative and see how many possible, because like, a lot of liberals were upset about that, and then you're like, oh, here's a, here's a possible swing vote, and you can market directly to those people. The rebel has yeah. that data. They are a very, very desirable owner of information for any conservative but candidate, think, which might explain why Sheer would be reluctant. But think about it this way. Why do you even need to give up your list, right? Hamish Marshall helped build a website. And also, I should note that Hamish Marshall also helped develop or at least purchase the software that runs their proprietary kind of video player and helps them monetize uh-huh. all their video hits and, and kind of set up their, their whole paywall and everything. So he actually built the Rebels business model functionally. So to call him an IT guy is wildly misleading. But why would you even need to give that list to a conservative candidate or the conservative party when you are functionally a political action committee for the conservatives? Yeah. You know, what do what do rebel emails say? Justin Trudeau is out to get you. Socialism and creeping Sharia are going to destroy Canada. And, you know, you'll run for your life, but also kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, vote conservative. Hamish Marshall helped set up a perfect surrogate for Andrew Scheer to help go after Justin Trudeau in a whole bunch of writings all across the country. Why bother colluding? Because at that point, you know, you're just asking Elections Canada to jump in. The rebel gets to claim, you know, media journalism status while also functionally working as a surrogate or, you know, a, a stocking horse for the Conservative Party. And Andrew Scheer gets to go off on his own and sound reasonable and moderate. Uh, OK, but, yeah. that's how it was supposed to run. But then the rebel became absolutely poisonous, toxic yeah. to any conservative candidate. Can they still work with it in any way? I mean, and, and now conservatives won't even go on the rebel to, to Doesn't do matter. an interview. It's plausible deniability. You know, Hamish Marshall gets to sit in Andrew Scheer's office and go, well, I have nothing to do with them anymore. But functionally, they're still doing the same thing. Thing. They're still going after Justin Trudeau every day. They're still, um, you know, ratcheting up fervor and anger and uh, setting up protests. And let's also think, think about it this way. You yeah. know, the rebel actually feeds into public demonstrations against the prime minister or Rachel Notley or whoever, which in turn helps the conservative party. It leads to good coverage for them. And in some cases, the conservative MPs will show up at those rallies. So it's I just mean, like, you know, the... the, the, the Quick memification of this from Canadian conservatives online is like, oh, you guys are beating that dead horse again. The rebel's pretty much dead. Why are you on this again? But now Hamish Marshall is going to be running Shear's campaign yeah. to be prime minister. And, and the rebel's not dead. I mean, this is the thing I kept hearing. You know, in in the story I did, you know, last month, I didn't put it in the story, but if I had to, you know, throw a dart at a board and guess how much money they have in a bank in the bank. They're doing fine. They're mm-hmm. probably, you know, sitting on well over a million dollars that they can just, you know, probably their nest egg at this point. That's a guess. Fair enough. But their their business model hasn't changed. They still have a huge subscriber base. They still have a huge email list that will donate to them whenever they say they're in trouble or in time of need. And they have a very fervent and dogmatic readership, listenership yeah. uh, that they can call upon to do whatever they want. And basically. to their claim that they are not alt-right, I think they just gave a feature sympathetic interview to Milo Yiannopoulos. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think they're, they're going to lay low yeah. for a month or two, and then I think they, they wait for the next hot button issue that gets people's uh, ire up, and then they're back in the mix. Well, no one's even noticed, but they hired a bunch of new hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, I did notice, yeah. And they're deeply bored. And they hired like a, a Hollywood actor who has like a couple of IMDb credits to do movie reviews, and it, like it's so boring. They need to be boring for a while just yeah. to stay alive and, and, and then they'll recruit someone big and flashy and crazy and then they'll kind of yeah. storm back on the scene. Let's uh, take a moment to thank uh, our sponsor, HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. I've used HelloFresh. I like this service a lot because it, re- it takes like four chores of planning what's going to be for dinner 
going and shopping and unpacking the groceries, making dinner, and then dealing with all the food waste because you bought too much of one ingredient. It just makes that into one fun chore. They send you a box, insulated box, to your doorstep of fresh, locally sourced ingredients, and then the recipes are dummy-proof, 30 minutes, step-by-step. And you're making stuff that people want to eat. They test this stuff in their kitchens, and they make sure that this is just tasty food that works. These recipes uh, are really, they make for good dinners. And they get you cooking stuff that you might not otherwise cook, get you out of your usual cooking rut or cycle. So if this sounds like a smart idea, I found it to be one, try it out because you'll get half off your first box when you go to hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. It's time for Duly Noted. Cool. I would like to uh, duly note a big progression in this um, Vice Canada cocaine scandal. Whoa. This could get awkward, Justin. Nope. Um... Okay, not only are we talking about your very recently, like, uh, colleagues of yours that you just recently parted company with, but th- there could be criminal charges laid and you could be called up to testify. So I don't know if Who you're going to be able... Are you going to be able to talk about this just, at all? Just do, the, just do the thing, Jesse. I'll just do the thing <laughs> and you'll sit there and maybe if you like piping up, it's up to you. Okay, if people remember this, uh, Slava Pastuk was the uh, noisy editor, the music editor in your former office advice. And um, according to Adrian Humphreys and Sean Craig, uh, the National Post, and now I think according to an Australian court, he was using that position to recruit drug mules. And they've just been sentenced. This is actually a very sad story. And what's come out in the sentencing is that these are kids who Slava Pastuk was able to entrap. And he used Vice, and he used the system that Vice has. I've seen this happen from Vice's earliest days, that coolness is a very powerful factor that could get people to write articles for free. I mean, this is it's in the ruling that he would dangle to interns whose internships would run out, your relationship with this company depends on you doing this for me. Or musicians who wanted coverage. Or like, because Vice does so many different things, you know, maybe even gigs. So anyhow, Jordan Gartner, 27 years old, Toronto electronic music artist who was Slava Pastuk's roommate. And he was the subject of a profile in a Vice publication. He got jail time. Robert Wang, this one's so sad too. Former Vice intern who was like a business student. He had an internship and he was trying to ingratiate himself after the internship ran out. He just got six and a half years. He went to uh, the Ivy Business School at Western University, and the the Crown Prosecutor said he wanted to ingratiate himself to Slava because of his influence advice. Pashtukov, the full name, was a gatekeeper, and his major motivation was to maintain a working relationship with Slava. So these these guys, they're going to spend a lot of time in jail right now, and Slava Pashtuk has not been charged with anything, but he might be, and I guess that's why... It's just me talking now because you, <laughs> you, know, might, you okay. might have to talk in court. Uh, well, listen, you know, I don't work in Vice anymore. I'm off the chain. I can say whatever I want. I'll say this. You don't have an NDA or anything like that? No, I don't. Uh, no, I will honestly say fully legitimately and honestly, everything I've seen, obviously the details of this case are actually sad. I think that's the right word. The company acted really well. I mean, like everything I saw, they just, you know, as soon as they were alerted to anything, they acted, they acted quickly. And, you know, obviously... This case is such a mess. I don't think you can disparage my former company for how they treated it. I think they handled it quite quite responsibly. I think that the questions about Vice are larger than, they're inclusive of, but larger than, did they respond to the specific 
you know, once they learned about it, when did they learn about it? We have to look at that stuff. And I, I have no reason to believe that they knew more about this specifically than we know that has been publicly reported. The, the questions are bigger than that. They're about like, you know, there's a drug culture advice, or at least there was. There's a larger existential question about what does our brand mean? We have an endless supply of young people who will do anything for us. And how do we use that? What are our policies? How do we make sure that anybody with any power here can abuse that and get people to do shit? And Slava Pastuk did that very explicitly. You're just describing a company. Like you're trying vice, to is, vice is a little bit. <laughs> you're describing unique. how employment works. I mean, like, no, because I, I don't want to, I don't want to get into all the employment like, you know. is, is like, you know, this is like your career. We could help and we can give you money, but vice pays in this ethereal other thing. Right, Vice has this other currency, and it's 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 intoxicating, Ethereum. powerful stuff. Yeah, we 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 pay everyone in Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, that's the company with everyone in Bitcoin. That's true. I mean, you're being you're being kind of like uh, glib about. I mean, like like that's the part that I feel that, that Vice hasn't come correct on, is like taking ownership of. We sell cool. We sell hypnosis. We sell sex. We can like wave our magic wand, and somebody's suddenly a big deal on the scene. And we want to be responsible about that, and we can see how it could be abused. And I instead see this like, nope, not us. We're it's just like a, any it's other. It's a weird thing to demand of a company. Like, be, your, that, be a little bit less cool. Be like responsibly. Like, nothing about the, the vice culture ever encouraged anything like this. I was, I was there. From the early days, or earlier days of Vice Canada, it was you know to say that it empowered people to go off and you know and, and exploit people is just it's obscene. Shitty people in in jobs will be shitty. Harvey Weinstein was a shitty guy who took his power and abused it wildly. There is directors of other big movie companies who aren't monsters. Like you know, it's like you know that's a great example. This is an opportunity for the movie industry to say, how do we exploit people? I mean, for Vice not to say, okay, these limited run internships where people are out the door and they've got like six months. The clock is ticking. You've got to somehow all, all internships are limited run. Like that's the point. This is actually no. Some that, internships lead no, to jobs. No, 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 no. Not by default. Like that's the point of an internship. It's an educational experience for one uh, semester. That's like a, a weird comparison. At least Vice pays their interns, which a lot of places don't. Yeah. So you know, I find this standard of like, you know, Vice must must temper its cool and 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 create this this whole new architecture of rules around its employees. It's so bizarre. I mean, we don't do that for anywhere else. I mean, I don't think anything about the vice culture led to this, and I don't. You don't um, think anything about the vice culture led to this? I don't. It's called Vice. Yeah. Covers of the magazine have had like rails of cocaine. People like snorting blow on the cover of the magazine. You don't think anything about the culture of Vice led to a criminal drug? Does operation anything about the LCBO magazine encourage setting up a still in your basement? I mean, like you know, that's a. <laughs> I mean, there's a difference there. Uh, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm gonna get an angry phone call from Vice just, uh, because I, I, I shouldn't be talking at all from an employer like this. But I don't think you can fault them for anything. I think, and I think the company doesn't want to get into a protracted thing about this, and I don't blame them. But I don't, I don't think you can, uh, you can, you can blame them for this. I mean, they acted as responsibly as you can expect any company to do. And obviously, the details of this case suck. But I mean, here we are. I couldn't disagree more. Well, but all you need to say for us to move on are the magic words. Duly noted. Justin Ling, what do you have for us today? Oh, I'm just gonna leave now. Okay, you know what? Here, it's a little bit boring. It's obviously not as, not as sexy as the last thing we were talking about. But, you know, the, we talk a lot about how the federal government has failed to fulfill its promises. And I, I swear to God, I may have even done the same bit on your on our, the last time I was on. Um, but we talk a lot about how the Trudeau government, you know, hasn't fulfilled some of its key promises. You're talking about electoral reform. You talk about some indigenous issues. You name it. The one thing that kills me and that people do not get angry enough about is their promises on accountability and transparency. I mean, you know, I feel like a broken record on this. But uh, the prime minister promised 
in his election campaign. He promised in a sit-down interview with me uh, before he was elected prime minister, obviously. And he promised repeatedly after being elected that they were going to expand the access to information system. It would be a new era of transparency and accountability. You'll it's never assume- been worse. It's never been worse. Yeah. And and part of that promise was they're going to expand the access to information system to ministers' offices. So if I want to get a copy of Bill Morneau's emails with the ex- ethics commissioner, say, obviously barring all of the, the various things about cabinet confidence and decision-making, yada, 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 I should be able to get those. And the prime minister, when I asked him about it, I actually actually asked him, why should we believe that you're going to do this when obviously it'd be so much easier for you to win government and then just not do it? He goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to do this because if there's anything, you know, I were saying in you know my personal email or my ministers were saying in their email accounts that we didn't want to make pu- be made public, we shouldn't be saying it. And I'm like, oh, that's that's really nice. That's a really and they got in, into power. They didn't fucking do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the, the you know Scott Bryson, the Treasury Board Minister, unveiled his you know new access to information legislation, and it sucks. The Information Commissioner actually said it would roll back our ability to request documents from the government, and I believe her. The legislation is junk, and. The one really shitty but crafty thing they did was add a little section on proactive disclosure. And what it does is require ministers' offices to proactively disclose certain documents. Some of those documents are already required uh, to be made public. Some of those documents are question period notes, meaning they're talking points. And some of them just aren't actually useful information. So what they're doing is requiring ministers to publish their talking points, which they should want to publish anyway, and nothing else. And the minister is looking at that and saying, see, we fulfilled our promise. We expended the act to include ministers' offices. And it's such a bold-faced lie. It is so frustrating to me. I have tried probably on a dozen occasions since he's been put in cabinet to get an interview with Scott Bryson, and they will not do one with me. I have written a bunch of things and, and filed access to information requests about the changes, and I've actually had big sections of my requests redacted, so I can't even figure out the whole decision-making process behind not expanding the access to information system, and it's so infuriating. You filed ATIPs about ATIPs. Yeah, 100%. I filed a lot of ATIPs about ATIPs. There's not a lot of people in the country who file as many ATIPs as I do, and let me tell you, the system has never been worse. It's on the verge of absolutely breaking down, and that should freak Canadians out. I mean, the only reason we ever found out about Beva Oda's $16 orange juice, um, you know, the only reason we found out, you know, details of the Liberals' pot plan, of the Liberals' Iraq plan, you name it, um, was yeah. because of the access to information system, and it's almost not working. Hey, three years from now, when all of your vice A tips come in, who gets them? <laughs> we, we're 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 doing joint custody. We have uh, we have a joint custody. Uh, we had a, we had a prenup, so it's fine. Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This home, about an hour outside Ottawa, is now a suburban sanctuary for a family now free. The calm and normalcy inside this home in tiny Smith's Falls will take some getting used to for Josh Boyle. I think people should just have some compassion for those individuals right now. I mean, they have been through a lot. The kids he protected, like his four-year-old son, are now getting their first taste of a real home. And with them, Boyle finds some comfort. So this story of Josh Boyle and his family's homecoming is one of these stories where there are so many sensitive issues for reporters mm -hmm. to determine what they're going to share with the public and what they're not, that what emerges is like kind of impossible to follow. Yeah. You know, I think it's just like very hard for people to, what the fuck happened here? It's it's this crazy story where this guy and his pregnant wife were, were they backpacking in Afghanistan? Were they, they're all doing some sort of missionary thing. They get captured by this Taliban affiliated group, five years in captivity, have three kids in captivity. Yeah. According to Boyle, his wife is raped while in captivity and they perform a forced abortion on her. They ultimately all become free, not through any kind of swap or deal, but through an escape where there's a gunfight. And now we kind of get a story that feels like a lot of like, okay, homecoming here, the parents, they've been very scared. Finally, the kids get to meet their grandparents. Everyone's home and safe. And then you're like, huh, he looks like he's like an Afghani guy now. Like he's got uh, his, 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 the, uh, the beard and, and his, his wife, they're both from here. But they're, they, they, like, and I'm like, was that like a survival tactic to, to blend in while they were in Afghanistan? Or what's with this guy? And you read about him and then it's not in every story. He used to be married to Zainab Cotter. He used to be married to Omar Cotter's sister. And Omar Cotter uh, is a different person than his sister. Like, it's, 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 it's not that association. It's what Zainab Cotter herself has said. She's said sympathetic things uh, in favor of the 9-11 terrorist actions. Uh, she has spoken out in praise of shaheeds and martyrs. And, and, and uh, there's reports that Osama bin Laden was either invited to or attended her second wedding. And she was briefly married to this guy. And then he's got a friend who says that he converted. And I'm not even like... Like, after the story is told in these sort of incomplete gestures, we then get a flurry of op-eds saying, let's not do victim blaming here. And I'm not interested in, in, in victim blaming because I don't even know who this guy is or what the hell happened. 
Yeah, anybody who's coming out and saying, don't victim blame here, is being a, a bit of a tool, to be honest. I mean, there's legitimate questions to be asked here. I mean, uh, and a, a really kind of actually good comparison here is Bo Bergdahl, the former yeah. U.S. Um, soldier who, who deserted his, uh, his base in Afghanistan and basically wandered for a bit and you know his story is is complicated in its own right and hostage to the same group I, exactly I he was captured was captured by the by it's not totally clear kind of by somebody went over the taliban then with the haqqani network if you look at those two cases there's a lot of similarities there's lots of open questions about um you know what they did in captivity what they believe whether or not they were radicalized before whether or not they were radicalized during uh whether or not they're they're radicalized now to some degree uh, there's a question of, of whether or not they they have basically sympathy. They develop sympathies to the, the network while they were in captivity. I think that's a valid question for 100%. people to ask. You know, like that's not victim blaming. Is there's reason to to, to I just want to know the story. What, like, what, what yeah. is the affiliation with and, radical Islam that this guy has? And we don't need a it's Tarek Fatabur thing in the Toronto Sun um, yesterday that was completely unhinged. It was it was like basically him, you know, trying to loop strings around tax on a on a cork board. Overanalyzing every piece of facial hair, you know, his, analyzing his accent and all this, and you know that's not helpful. What we need to do is actually have a frank conversation of, you know, is it possible this guy was radicalized before? Is it possible he was trying to link up with militants while he was up there? Um, is it possible he was radicalized during? Did he develop Stockholm syndrome? Um, you know, is it possible yeah. that we have to worry about him now? Now, there's also we also have to remember the other side of the coin, which is you know before he went there, his, his friends basically described him as an avowed pacifist with an academic interest in terrorism, which an academic interest in terrorism, but he also had colleagues who said that he seemed to be converting to Islam. It's not relevant. Like, like that's not like some smoking gun. Like, no. I'm trying to damn him through association. I just want to know the story here, which is which is hard to decipher. And, right. then, and then some information is being held back. Like, apparently, he, he I mean, he was reluctant to get on a, uh, an American plane to take him to American soil. And, and the press is almost like running interference. Oh, that's just because he wanted to go back to Canada, not America. But apparently, he actually said to the press... Uh, he nodded to uh, a U.S. State Department official uh, as he was traveling back to Canada and said, their interests are not my interests. Well, but hang on. Actually, this is the one part where I could not fault him even slightly. I mean, regardless of your situation, you have to recognize that the Americans are going to want to do basically a debrief with you. Now, that could range from a, you know, a sit-down, kind of pleasant interrogation, or that could range to you winding up in a hey, U.S. military base. We're just guessing here. I mean, he yeah. also said that he he if he doesn't get justice for what happened to him, he will turn to other outlets to seek our, our justice. The hell knows what that means. What? Like, like I mean, look, Michelle Shepard has done an incredible job yeah. on this for the star and has had incredible access. Yeah. But I feel like not enough of a cogent, just like timeline has been presented. And even if there are things that are unknown and we don't want to jump to conclusions, you always have the decision, well, do we just hold back things or un or downplay mm. them? Or do you say, look, we don't know what this means, but here it is. Yeah, I mean, and, and when you leave stuff out, that's where you leave the room for the Tarek Fatahs and others yeah. to conjure up crazy conspiracy theories and fill in the blanks as they will. And then also say, oh, the media is lying to you. The media is yeah. holding back information from you. Well, I mean, that's tough. I mean, there's, there's no black and white rules on this, right? You're trying to decide what to release, what not to release is uh, a a lot of gray zone where you have to kind of make a call about whether or not something's relevant, pertinent, accurate, useful, right? So I understand the skepticism. I would be, in this case, 
always on the side of release it if possible. Um, but I understand other journalists might be a little more skeptical. They want the full picture. They might be saving some of those details yeah. for a future story where they actually can put them in context in a meaningful way. So fair enough. Some of it is, you know, withholding information or downplaying information. But the bigger thing, I think, is just almost like news packaging and aesthetics. Yeah, I agree. The pictures of the, of the you know, like these like parents worrying, these things, are the, like the message is like, these people are like you. You can relate to them. And I'm like, well, this actually seems like a very specific story. Yeah. But also, we, we have to remember, we can't expect too much from them. Okay, so whether they are legitimately Haqqani affiliated nut jobs or whether they're completely innocent people who are at the wrong place at the wrong time, they've just been released or freed or taken from uh, Waziristan and kind of spirited away in a very kind of hectic, crazy, um, you know, mission that involved a lot of gunfire and, you know, they have three kids. I don't have a problem with giving them a little bit of space before we expect answers from them, but I think the media has to do a better job of the whole story around them. And it's, it's, it is a tough story, too, because while they were in captivity, the FBI, the RCMP, CIA were putting out this information that really you know downplayed their involvement with or yeah. their, their sympathies towards you know any radical groups. There's one, I think, comment from the FBI basically saying they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, the fact that he was previously married to uh, Zena Cotter was just a coincidence. Now those officials are coming out and saying, listen, that's what we said while they were in captivity. You know, the reality is somewhat murkier. And I think that that's an interesting thing, too, because I think there's a really easy way here to cherry pick quotes or data or pieces of information. And what you need to do is look at everything from kind of a wholesome perspective or else you're going to get a really one sided view of everything. And there are questions we just don't have answered. I mean, this gunfight were any of the Pakistani police officers or soldiers killed in that? Like, a lot of people suffered because yeah. these guys got captured. Yeah, for sure. And the kids are uh, first among them. You know, yeah. these kids born in captivity. But what's up with this gunfight? I mean, uh, there's lots of questions. I mean, certainly, I think there's going to be journalists, probably Michelle Shepard, uh, chief amongst them, who are going to keep digging into this. So I don't think... I think it's really easy to look at this sort of thing right now and, and take pot shots at either side. But I think, you know, we always complain about the media being too quick or, you know, being, you know, on the 24-hour news cycle. But in reality, there's probably some journalists here who are really putting in the time and effort to do a uh, bigger package, a more thoughtful piece, an in-depth explainer on everything we need to know. And I think we should give them the time to do it and not demand that they rush out the door right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. I guess I'm just mostly responding to like, I feel like there has been a request that I feel a certain way about this. And I kind yeah. of resent being asked to feel that way when I don't even have the details. Yeah, agreed. Justin, thank you. Uh, that is your Canada Land Shortcuts, everybody. You can email me. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I read what you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Justin, you're uh, open for business. Gigs, yep. freelance, birthday parties, bar mitzvahs. Where yep. can people find uh, you? For all the actual gigs, I'm uh, Justin underscore Ling and for all the bar mitzvahs at PD McLeod on Twitter. So Excellent. Like us on Facebook and our news stories will appear in your news feed. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Go to there. This show was produced by Kevin Sexton. Syndication of Canada Land. We offer the show for free to community and campus radio across this country for free. And it is syndicated by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, please support our crowdfunding campaign on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. 
You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.